In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. One of the comments I heard made coming up to the the first of the, the two, as far as I'm concerned, two most unfortunate referenda that we had there in the last few years, the one on, on the redefinition of marriage um, by the state, not by the church. Uh, a comment that I heard made was, ah, should let them have it. Let them be as unhappy as the rest of us. And it was, it was funny. It was dark. It was funny. There are so many jokes about marriage. And jokes about, you know, it's like jokes about religion. It's the greatness of marriage that attracts the jokes. Like moths to light. Yeah, it's the greatness of marriage. And it's funny that even in, in a, an age of great transience, and I'm not just saying that lightly, it's a very fluid age. It's an age that corrodes relationships uh, easily and has an aversion to permanence. And yet marriage remains popular. It remains a popular choice if you're going to reduce it to a lifestyle choice. The best I can say is that people are still doing it. And in numbers. And in numbers. And I know as a priest that a significant number of them uh, would not, they're not believers. They're technically Catholics, but they're not believers. They're lovely people. They're lovely people. Yet they still get married. And one of the things I most worry about with marriage, with Catholic marriage, okay, we let the state worry for itself about what it has chosen uh, to represent by marriage. One of the things I most worry about is this meeting between the transient and the impermanent and the permanent, non-transient, that which stands in the middle of the road. That which won't move. That which demands. God stands in the middle of the road. And says stand and deliver. That meeting is fraught. It's fraught. People laugh at this thing, the Catholic distinction between divorce and nullity. Hey, you understand that? Divorce is the dissolution of a bond without reference, without reference to the validity of the bond at law originally. The bond may be perfectly valid in law, but for other reasons has proved uh, a burden to the original con contractors. And so they, they, they plead they appeal to the juridic order, to the legal system, which witnessed the first contract. They appeal to it to dissolve the contract and set them free of their obligations. Except where there are children. In that case, it's a matter of deciding how the obligations will be carried out because the, those obligations don't go away. And to set them free to wait for it, wait for it, if they choose, marry again. Now, 
as far as Catholics are concerned, if the bond is valid, and without going too deeply into it, that means if both of the parties were able to do this, in other words, to, to make a permanent marriage, and intended to do it, and did it freely and deliberately and intentionally with enough information and all the rest to do what they were doing, then it's a valid bond. And if anyone believes otherwise, let them prove it. It's a valid bond. And, it, and the church holds it to be valid, contrary to any appearances, until it's proved to the contrary. If it was already validly contracted in front of a priest, uh, or a deacon, or a bishop, uh, with two witnesses, consent. Mm. That's a serious matter. A Catholic marriage is a serious bit of kit. Serious item of equipment. You're in a dear shop. Because what do you do in marriage? And I never fail as a priest to be awed by this. I am in awe of what two people do when they exchange the marriage vows. And that's the marriage, remember, in Catholic terms. That is the marriage. You can do a Catholic marriage in a few minutes. It's longer because we include prayers and very usually nowadays we have a nuptial mass, a special a, a mass with special prayers in it for the, for the newlywed. But actually the marriage is when the consent is exchanged between the two parties, to put it very coldly in a technical way, between the two parties in the presence of the priest, the deacon or the bishop, and two witnesses. Done deal. It's done. And the sacrament is conferred by them on each other. The priest doesn't confer the sacrament of marriage. The husband and wife confer it on each other in the moment of exchanging consent. And that happens only if they're, if they're baptised. This is interesting stuff. Hmm. This is very interesting stuff. But what's most interesting is what they say to each other. And it's what they say to each other. It's one of those occasions on which you realise the grandeur of the human condition and its terrifying beauty and the risks and stakes that are involved. When you realise that we are standing on the edge of a ravine 5,000 miles deep in ordinary life. It's when one says to the other, I take you as my wife. For better, for worse. For richer, for poorer. In sickness and in health. Till death do us part. Death ends a marriage. Death ends a marriage. They are married as long as they both live. That is tremendous. You consider, I mean, what do you have? You can lose all your money. And certainly that would give anyone a bad night. But at the end of the day, if you have your health, and particularly if you're still young, eh, that's a disaster, no question. But tomorrow's another day. You made it once. Maybe you'll make it again. People have been known to make two or three fortunes. You can lose a whole load of things, but your life is what you have. Eh? Your life is what you have. Your life is the pearl beyond price. If that goes, that's it. That's the game changer. 
And you take that. That's the stash. That's the reserve. That's the rainy day money. That's the piggy bank. Your life. Your independence. You take that. And you hand it to somebody else. Yeah. And you say, take it. Knowing that you have no 120% guarantee that they won't take it and run off with it. Knowing that you have no guarantee they won't walk all over you. Or to paraphrase Yeats, that they won't trample on your dreams. That is the grandeur of marriage encapsulated in the vow itself. Catholic marriage is madly romantic. It is madly, crazily, poisonously, expensively romantic. All of the stuff around a Catholic marriage, the dress, the suits, the whole bit, if you can afford them, these things are justified. Some of you out there will say, oh, no, no, marriage should be, you know, we should just go up in our ordinary clothes and not be spending a load of money on this and save our money for a house and all the rest of it. To which I say to you, you don't know much about people, do you? You don't get out often, I'd say. People have grandeur in them. People need to look like a king and queen at the great moments of their lives because they are kings and queens. Duh. Keep in mind our theology. Keep in mind the promises that have been made to us on which everything stands. We are princes and princesses. We will inherit heaven. Why wouldn't they go up the aisle looking like a king and a queen? They are a king and a queen. In the orthodox marriage ceremony, if memory serves, crowns are held over both of them. Beautiful thing to do. And that should tell you all you need to know about the nature of Christian marriage. For life. Nothing left for the way back. No prenuptial agreement, that schlieving little, little sort of, I, I don't know, sitting there like a, a socially challenged leprechaun, counting out your pennies from your crock of gold. Okay, the prenup, if it doesn't work out, you know, you, you get this and you get that and you can have half the hay shed and, and two wheels off the tractor and... Uh, you little miser, you... Oh, that's disgusting! How did you get in? Security! You don't do that in marriage like a dog you roll over, you show your soft belly. That's the only thing that counts. That's what counts, boy. That's your sucking diesel. Because if you're marrying an Irish woman, she could put half the cutlery drawer in her. If you annoy her. You leave yourself open to the other. Unless you think I'm being sexist, let me assure you that I admit fully that in, in, in an apparent paradox, nobody is bitchier than men. <laughs> okay. You know, we go on about women. But if you have, if you spot it, eh, you spot it, you have it. The romance of marriage is like, it's like, it's like the glamour of any of the deadly things. It's like cigarettes, the tapping the cigarette on the gold cigarette box, the lighting of it, everything. Because it kills you. 
that makes it interesting. Alcohol is interesting because it's so dangerous. No, no, I'm not justifying alcoholism. I'm not justifying addiction to smoking. I am personally addicted to smoking. I'm about five years off them. They, you know, they nearly helped to kill me, I think, according to my doctor. Marriage is dangerous. It could go wrong. And any priest who would have the, been mad enough to say to you off the altar, oh, your marriage is definitely going to go right in every respect, that man has lost his faith. The whole point of it is that you stand over the ravine together and you and her or you and him and the priest and the two witnesses are the only people in the universe for those few minutes. It is enormous what you do to hand your life into another. It is for the whole of natural life. And here, there's another talk in this and several more talks, but... And here's the thing. I talked about showing your soft in underbelly and no, I'm not uh, arguing that for particular styles of wedding dresses, okay? I talked about showing your weakness. I talked about the vulnerability. You know what the biggest vulnerability is? Marriage is and must be open to children, to new life, to the future. And you don't want to admit what we all know. The future is terrifying. It's beautiful. It's alluring. It's mystical. And it's terrifying. And it's all right to be afraid of the future. I don't have to put up with endless crap from an adolescent kid, you know. Uh, and I'm not downing adolescence, but it's a tough time of life and it's a tough time for the parents. But that's what two people who get married do. They lay themselves open to the future. And actually the marriage is invalid if you deliberately and intentionally exclude the possibility of having children. Now you will say some couples can't have children. That's not the point. They were open to it. They were there. It's not their fault. That's not the point. There's a world of a difference between that and selfishly. Go back to the leprechaun. You remember him? Go back. Uh, there you are with the prenup agreement. And by the way, we might have kids. And then again, we might. We might have one. And then again, sure, maybe two. You're open to the future. You were given life. Pass it on. No, no. Romance. Romance? You want romance? There are magnificent romances being played out in most of the houses of Ireland. And some of them go terribly wrong, as magnificent romances can do. I want to say to all married people listening to me, you crazy devils, you glamorous creatures, you are really, as they used to say in the 60s, you're living it, man. That is the true romance. God bless you.